So uh, our last talk for the day, um, Mim and Natalie are going to be talking about things they've learned over a very long period of time working with younger people and researching with them. So please join me in welcoming to the stage Mim and Natalie. Thank you. Um, so hi everyone, I'm Mim or Marisa and I'm the Director of Research at Reach Out Australia which is Australia's leading online youth mental health service and this is Nat um, from Red Rollers. Um, and she's a qualitative specialist. And we've actually been collaborating for about seven years together. So we're going to start today because it's the last um, talk of the day by telling you a random story. Um, and it's a story about a guy called Jake. Um, and Jake attended a workshop we were running to design an app to improve young men's sleep and well-being. Um, and as we do in many workshops, we started by asking a question which related to the subject matter we were, um, that the workshop was going to be focused on, but revealed a little bit about the participants and um, who they are. And so we're going, and in this case, the story we're asking is, tell us a funny story about sleep. And also, tell us what mobile phone you have, because we needed to collect that data. Anyway, so um, we're going around the circle and we get to Jake. And Jake's a tradie. Um, he's about 19 years old. He lives in the Shire with some mates. And he takes a big deep breath and he starts off and he says, well, my story's a bit strange. And he says, my mum's like really alternative and um, she's like really natural health and spiritual and she took me to this retreat in Hawaii. And um, it was this natural raw food healing retreat. And um, after these lectures and talks and whatever, I was just so tired that I fell asleep and he kind of pauses and he's like... I fell asleep on an amethyst healing bed. <laughs> and he says, and you know, next to the wall was some volcanic stone. He's like, I don't know if anyone's ever like, felt volcanic stone, but it's kind of like glass. And he's like, and I had a spasm um, in my sleep and I, my leg flung up and I hit my little toe on the volcanic um, thing and rock and then he's like so you know I'm sleeping in this amethyst healing bed and I kind of um, my legs my now have a gash on my toe and he said and all of a sudden I get surrounded by these people and he's like they're lifting me up and they're prodding me and they're poking me and he says they're trying to heal me and he's like um, I, he's like I just I just really I'm bleeding I'm really faint and mum he's like mum I just don't know what's going on I really hate blood and he's like so that's my sleep story and oh I have a mo an iPhone 4. <laughs> and, he, and he finishes and there's like this pause and everyone bursts out laughing including Jake um, who then says I think I'm the first person to ever injure themselves on an amethyst healing bed and, um, and you know we all laugh because he really wasn't your typical candidate for you know the raw food crystal healing retreat with mum at 19 and I suppose I guess the point that Nat and I wanted to make with this story is that when you create a safe and respect respectful and mutually beneficial environment, um, young people will surprise you, they'll make you laugh, um, and they'll really challenge your assumptions. So as I said, Nat and I have been collaborating on, um, for about seven years, and over that time, um, we've spoken to well over 600 young people um, in, our, in design research activities. And what we do is we focus on understanding their everyday lives, their technology use, their help-seeking journeys, and how they conceptualise mental health issues and wellbeing. And we love it. Um, there are times when we kind of you walk into a workshop and you and the girls are sitting like this, <laughs> and um, the guys are like twitching their legs and they're refusing to make eye contact with you, and it can be really tough. But I think mostly what we've found is that young people 
are really wise and they're resourceful and they're funny, um, they're honest and they're equipped with excellent bullshit detectors. <laughs> so over the next little while, Nat and I are going to take you through seven lessons that we've learnt to apply to our research design um, to over help overcome those awkward moments and bring out the best in young people um, and really to produce research that's meaningful and beneficial not only to us as researchers but to the participants as well. So our first lesson is you need to match your research methods to the teenage brain. So during adolescence, young people are going through a rapid kind of emotional, social and cognitive period of development. And they're developing and testing out lots of new skills. So they're learning to think conceptually. They're learning kind of advanced reasoning skills. They're learning long-term thinking skills. And they're learning about setting goals. But they haven't actually mastered these skills yet. And one of the things um, that you'll learn is that there really, can be a really stark developmental difference between young people in early adolescence and young people kind of even in mid to late adolescence. And I'll show you a quick example. So we did, we did some, two workshops on um, um, well-being with young people and we asked a bunch of 13-year-olds and a bunch of 17-year-olds the same question in this workshop. And we asked them to describe how they think a happy, healthy person feels. Our 13-year-olds said joy, happy, bubbly, confident, energetic, fit, caring, kind, nice. Whereas our 17-year-olds so, you know, said a happy, healthy person feels loved, inspired, motivated, fulfilled, productive, calm, relaxed. And so you'll see that for the older group's responses are much more nuanced. They reflect much more inner thoughts um, and feelings and much more enduring states. Um, and the younger group's responses reflect behavioural or physical expressions and they're much more fleeting. And this kind of reflects where those young people are developmentally. Young people in early adolescence take a lot of their cues from physical and behavioural, um, whereas young people in later adolescence are going through their period of self-discovery and they're very inward-focused. So for them, happiness is much more around how you feel. Um, and so what we've learned over the years is that not only do we need to take these kinds of developmental factors into account when we're designing our products, but we actually need to take them into account when we're designing our research methods. So here's an example. When um, at ReachOut, we're really interested in what success looks like for our users. So what is it that we need to deliver to young people to, um, to make them feel like they've had a good experience with our product over a period of time? And so this, when you're dealing with mental health issues, often means getting a young person to imagine that their symptoms have reduced or they're feeling better. Um, and so we, um, in one particular workshop, we asked a question, which is to imagine it was a year from now, a year from the future, and you're feeling better. What are the words that you would use to describe yourself? Um, and what might Reach Out have done to make you feel this way? And we got blank stares and kind of these really lacklustre outputs. And um, we, in another project, we asked a similar question, or we asked the same question but slightly differently, and we asked, we changed the time frame from a year from now to a little while from now, and we got really, really rich outputs. And I think what we've realised over the years is that young people perceive time differently. To them, 10 weeks, a school term, is an eternity. <laughs> um, and so the, and their thinking gets really paralysed when you're trying to actually get them to project over long periods of time because they just don't have those skills yet. 
Um, another way we need to take development into account when we're designing workshops is remembering that young people don't have very good conflict resolution skills or negotiation skills. So small group work that we often use in workshops is actually really, really challenging for them. So if there's a disagreement, they actually don't have the skills to necessarily resolve that. And for that reason, we're really careful about who we will put together in small groups when we use them. We structure our workshops so that we have um, lots of all of group activities first up, some individual work, and we've got, usually got two facilitators and we're both observing what are the dynamics in the room, who, what are the personalities in the room, who do we think will go well together, and we take a lot of time kind of constructing those groups. So our next lesson is that when you're working with young people, you really need to develop a shared language. So young people experience the world differently to adults, and they bring a unique perspective. And what, when we're discussing kind of complex concepts like well-being or tough times or help-seeking, we found that we need to unpack these key concepts to really understand what they mean to young people and what words they use to describe those things. Um, and by doing this early in research, we can incorporate their words into um, the remaining activities or the remaining research um, that we might be doing. So we've kind of got these points of reference, these sort of anchors that help us make sure that when we're talking about things, we're all referring to the same things. So I'll give you an example of how we've done this. So we were doing a project where we were developing an online um, toolbox for young people aimed at increasing their wellbeing. Um, and, it, and we were running a series of co-design activities or workshops to understand what the product would need to be like for it to be useful to young people, to be meaningful to them in their everyday life. But we needed to unpack what, it, what this definition of well, what, what wellbeing meant and really come up with a collective definition of what it meant. So we started by giving the um, participants a pre-task and we asked them to take um, photos of things which they thought represented well-being to them. So here's some examples of the photos. And then they came into our workshop um, and as their warm-up, we asked them to present these images to the group and we wanted them to tell us why they took them, what they think they say about well-being, why they, where they were taken and who they might have been with when they took these photos. We then um, did an exercise where we um, got all the participants to write down all the words they associated with well-being, and we prompted them. We said, this could be activities, it could be feelings, it could be people, it could be areas of your life. Um, and then they identified three words that sum up well-being to them, and they transferred them onto post-its. They then um, worked together to stick them on the wall, and then, and then they negotiated within themselves to cluster them into themes. Um, and then what they did is they added their homework photos And after that, we facilitated a discussion and we came up with um, our own, with categories, collective categories of well-being. Um, and then this, this kind of fed into a shared definition of well-being for the day. And we used that definition throughout the day and then the facilitators adopted the language that the young people had used. And um, we then um, kind of framed all the activities throughout the day from then on. So they chose a wellbeing goal under one of those kind of buckets and designed a product that would help them achieve that goal. So our third lesson is that you need to make young people feel safe. Um, and we have lots of different approaches for doing this. Um, not only so they feel safe to share their experiences and perspectives, but also because we have a duty of care um, that we need to manage during and after the research. And so it starts before we meet. Um, so usually we give young people a pre-task, and this really just makes them feel comfortable. Um, it could be one, a photo like before. Um, it could be we get them to bring an object in with them. And what we find is that when 
young people arrive with something tangible to use and they have a little bit more context, they feel a bit more kind of um, comfortable. Um, then at the beginning of the workshop, we, we spend a lot of time in setup. So we need to acknowledge that talking about tough issues can bring up upsetting thoughts and feelings and that can be okay to take time out. Um, and we pay young people for their participation and it's really important to make the point that if, it, if you get upset and you need to take time out, we will still pay you because, you know, because they, they really are worried that they, they won't be paid because they've got to, they've got to participate. Um, and we always build in a moment at the beginning of each workshop to ask them to pause and reflect on what it is that they might want to be willing or not willing to share on the day. So young people often don't necessarily have a filter of what might be um, to stop themselves from talking. I haven't learned that skill yet. And often what happens, unless you kind of give them that moment to pause, they'll reveal something that they'll later regret and it will quite upset them. Um, and then we need to be upfront about our legal responsibilities. So um, explaining that we might need to break confidentiality if we suspect they're experiencing harm at risk of harm or if we think they're at risk of harming someone else. We also use our activities on the day to create a safe environment. So we often use methods that allow young people to input but without having to own their input. Um, and this is a way that we get ideas and suggestions for sensitive issues onto the table. Um, so one method we use for this is called a word race. Um, and so the way this works is that we divide a group into two teams and we position the teams at one end of the room and then we put some butcher's paper on the other end of the room. And um, we give everyone a bunch of post-its and we pose questions. So it might be, um, what words would you describe to, um, what words would you use to describe a tough time? Um, and they have to race to see which group can come up with the most words. The catch is that they can only include one idea per post-it. And they actually need to, um, each time they have their idea, they need to run it up to the other side of the room, put it on the butcher's paper, run back, sit down before they can write their next idea. And why we do this is because by the time you get to the end, um, no one has any idea who put what up. Um, and so what it does is it gets all of these ideas onto the table, sometimes quite sensitive, and it allows us to kind of group them and theme them, and then they become anchors for the, for the rest of the day. So we can then start kind of exploring without having to own it. Um, and one of the last um, ways we make sure we keep young people safe is just always giving them a handout to take home, so letting them know um, that, there are, that, they, that there's help available if they need it. Um, and we usually make sure that we contextualise that help to the issue that we might be talking about, the age group that there is, um, or the state or the location that we're in. I'll pass you Alrighty. over to Matt. I guess the key part of making young people safe is to also just acknowledge their expertise. Um, this is really important at the beginning of any kind of engagement or time that you have with a young person is to really emphasise how important it, it is that they're the expert. We don't know what it's like to live in their life, in their day. We don't, we don't have that, that, that connection to day-to-day -day feelings, stresses, that they're experiencing, and only they are the experts in, in their life. Because they can feel disempowered and undervalued. Um, so reinforcing this is a really important part of any um, beginning step. You know, we're not at these parties anymore. We don't know what's going on <laughs> day to day. Um, and so to also demonstrate, you know, we will meet with young people quite a bit. 
So we say that, we, we acknowledge that, but you know, we're not necessarily going to be shocked by some of the stories that you tell us, but we really need to understand what your version of whatever it is that we're talking about is. We want to understand what it's like for you and your friends in your community and really emphasise that. Um, to also demonstrate that we take them seriously, that um, they're experts and that we really put a lot of effort into the project is to invest a lot of time in the kind of artefacts and materials that we will use as part of a workshop or as part of an interview process as well. There's quite a lot of time that goes into preparing pre-tasks, preparing materials. And young people love seeing the work that's gone into that and that reinforces to them that we're taking their experiences really seriously and see them as an expert. And I'll just show you a little example from a recent project. Maybe we were designing an eight-week program for young people that were moving um, out of home care into um, independent living and we were trying to understand well, what are the types of things that you need, what would you like this program to be like. So creating these kind of icons for them to play with um, really helped them to express some of their, some of their needs and what, they, what they're like. I mean, as you do in a meeting, you give people an overview of what the agenda is. We do that when we're doing a workshop as well. We give young people a sense for what's coming up, what is it that we're trying to do. And that's another sign of respect. Sometimes you don't want to go too far into details because it can be too overwhelming as well. So you really got to kind of find that balance depending on the age group and, and the young people that you're talking to. Um, in some instances, we will share themes from previous projects as well. So um, this gives the young person a chance to critique or to hear from other young people to understand what their perspective was on a particular topic. Um, and one way of doing this, just in terms of sharing some of the ways that we might do that, um, was from a project with ACON. And it was actually two workshops with the same group of people. They were kind of two weeks apart. So we did the first workshop, then came up with some of the key themes, and then we put them together and said, look, guys, this is what we heard. Um, how well does that represent what the persona what the person that we were talking about was going through. And by doing that, they've got the authority to comment, the authority to critique us and our interpretation of whatever that particular experience is. And this format, you know, um, really simple kind of user stories um, or UX goals is a really lovely way to, to capture those um, themes and to be able to comment on them and critique them um, moving forward. So, yeah, overcoming the awkward, absolutely. There's nothing uh, more uncomfortable sometimes than going into a room uh, with teenagers that don't know each other, that are, are quite self-conscious, um, especially if they're in a strange environment and surrounded by adults. Like, that's, that's completely awkward. Um, so here are, I guess, a few ways that we try and help them feel a little bit more comfortable. Um, and don't ever underestimate the basics and having the basics covered. It's not about having a cheese board over in the corner that they have to get up and try and navigate. Simple things like the right food, the pizzas, vegetarian pizzas, uh, chips, lollies, all those kind of things that are familiar, easy to eat and close by are really important to just creating a safe, comfortable environment. If you're going to play music, whatever you do, um, let them choose the tunes, let them create the playlist, set up your system so that they're in charge. 
You don't go playing your trip-hop or grunge back from back in the 90s. Like, I'm telling you now, it doesn't work. <laughs> um, and the warm-up activities are really important. Um, you know, the icebreaker questions are vital. I'd love to share a couple. Um, just don't underestimate the power of some really simple facts for giving you really interesting insights. The project I did just recently, I said, OK, guys, um, uh, what did you have for dinner last night and what time did you go to sleep? And from that, so many like stories about th that night came out just from those simple questions in an opener and really kind of got people talking. Um, the divisive and funny questions are really lovely ways as well where you're kind of saying, guys, are you more, are you an um, Android or um, iPhone? And moving between the room really energises and gets people kind of just out of their, their, their regular um, kind of self-conscious phase. The other thing, I guess, is to um, think about ways that we can help people share their strengths. Um, and it's awkward. So we, we, we like to kind of find out what their strengths are, highlight those as part of the process of any research that we do. And one that worked really recently was getting them to write down on a post-it note, um, what's your superpower? But the, tr the trick being, I got this from Penny, was you have to do it with your left hand. And suddenly, oh, God, superpower with my left hand? No way. But it's suddenly everyone's okay, they're doing it, and they've just, they've just kind of broken this kind of ice around, oh, what am I doing here? What's it like? And, and they kind of go with it. It's, it suddenly becomes okay. And those little moments, like the left-handed aspect to it, was, I think what ultimately makes it work. Um, keep moving. Uh, the other thing we've seen as well, I guess, the power of photo elicitation or using images. This was from, um, we were going back and looking at a program that had been run in high schools, a local leaders program that Reach Out ran. We, wanted, we asked the young high school students what it was like. We said, pull out an image to represent um, what that experience was like for you. And using images, words cards, is also another really powerful way of overcoming the awkward. So pulling something out and talking about the image, what that image means to me, it's, an, it's a really beautiful way. And you end up with some really lovely icons that you can use or artefacts that represent that experience that the young person had as well. So demonstrating um, that their contribution will impact the end result, this is a really important lesson that we've learned along the way. So building a sense of progress into the design of any research experience is important. Um, it helps to feel comfortable and it gives them a sense of where things are going. So activities that build on each other are really important. We spend a lot of time crafting, as you guys probably do too, the, the workshop flow, how things are going to move um, between different activities. So once we said before, you know, you define what well-being is in your words, in your pictures, tell us what it is. So we've got the landscape. Um, a project where we did this just to quickly visualise what we mean by building on activities. Um, this was for uh, Next Step, which is actually a live app now to help young people find um, services and information when they might be going through a tough time or a friend is. Um, this was back at, in 2013 when we didn't know what we were creating. We knew it had to be some kind of online tool because we knew that online is a, a place that um, young people feel really comfortable, that can be anonymous. So we knew we were in that space. So we start with, OK, well, what are the things that you're using and loving at the moment, be it games, apps, websites? What are the qualities of those things? And we kind of create an ecosystem. Then we um, introduce personas. 
immerse them with personas. This is over a day. The, from the personas, we said, okay, for this person, um, Sanjay's perspective, um, what's it like for him? We give them a, you know, a scenario of what Sanjay's going through. What's it like for him to seek help? This is what we end up with. A very, very um, detailed, complex um, journey that's certainly not linear, because it's a really good understanding of what are some of those barriers to seeking help. From here, we then did an, and that day it was full group, then smaller group activities. Then the final activity at the end of the day was um, an individual activity. And these work really well, particularly um, like adults, where some of us are more extroverted, some of us are more introverted. You want to have the chance to let the introverts really make um, an amazing contribution. And often it's through these individual activities where the gold really comes out. And um, so this individual activity um, was at the end. They've had time to really uh, digest and uh, percolate away all the things that have happened throughout the day and create that final online um, journey that's, that's kind of the ideal version of, of what we've been talking about for the whole day. And at the, by the time you get to this point, people can't believe what they've created. They're like, wow, I did this. I can't believe I came up with all these ideas. And it's, 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 it's amazing. And to really um, be conscious about when you're doing any workshops, creating materials and filling the room is a really important um, way of helping young people to understand the impact of what it is that they're doing and how important it is in creating that immediate impact. Um, okay, now I'm skipping ahead. Let's <laughs> go to immediate impact because I can see it's a bit late in the day. So this is the final one. All right, so um, coming back to, I guess, a lot of what Penny is talking about, which I just um, absolutely love, but I think it's such an important thing for all of us to consider, given that we are out meeting people, sometimes people in really vulnerable situations, um, and thinking about... Um, how what we're doing and being more deliberate about what we, the kind of questions that we ask, the kind of resources that we might share as part of those interactions. And I guess it's going beyond yeah, those insights and extracting and finding ways to learn together, to, to look at a, a subject or an area um, together and see, see it in a different way as a result of engaging in that research process. So it's really important to build time for people to connect and reflect. We know that as researchers to, for those kind of group um, formation and dynamics. Um, but it's also really important for their satisfaction as well. Um, if your research is too heavily skewed, like Paul was saying, towards your product, your program, your service, we miss all the gold. The gold's up in life and understanding all of what's happening day to day. Um, and the other outcome, if you're focusing too much on your thing, is that young people can feel really bored. They can just like, <laughs> I don't know, what do you want me to come up with? Like, I don't know. I haven't been given the chance to, to distill and to think about what it is that I might need. Um, and so when we're focused on their lives and discovering their understanding of the subject, we're allowing their knowledge to bubble up and out of their day-to-day -day interactions um, and help them to identify what works and what doesn't and why. 
I think really building in questions um, that give young people the chance to express their goals is really important as well, to take, take a time to visualise what they're hoping to achieve. These little activities as part of a research engagement can also be really important. That chance to stop and pause and stop and think. Often at the end of research projects, people say, I'm so glad I did that because I hadn't taken the time to think about these types of questions. I'm, I'm, I'm caught up in day-to-day -day life. I'm glad I had the chance to stop and pause, to challenge and, and just to also remember, remember something tough or something that I didn't think I could do that I have been able to do and to draw on that and remember that as well. Um, the other thing that I think is really great when we're running the workshops as well is to, well, what kind of resources can young people actually experience during the workshop? So doing things like Smiling Mind or the Reach Out Breathe as an afternoon thing where they're experiencing a nap um, is fantastic. Right, so finally, um, just to wrap up, <laughs> so uh, we've basically uh, done a project recently with um, high school students. This is to launch the um, parenting project. And we just wanted to pass on some advice words from these young people for any parents, aunts, uncles in the room um, just coming direct. I said, uh, you know, what would you, what do you wish that adults knew or your parents knew? We want them to accept that sometimes we don't want to talk to them. It's, it's not a, an, anything personal, it's just because we want to be more independent and we need to work things out for ourselves. I love this quote by this 12-year-old. Don't overreact to your child's situation and don't overprotect your child. Let them figure it out. Let them get it in their own way. You can read the others. But I just want to leave those with you. Um, and, yeah, thanks for an awesome conference too, by the yeah, way, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> That's the final. Thank you both very much.